What does it mean to be locally owned and operated? For Cenex, it means everything. It means that we know if you take your coffee to go or if you like to stay a while. It means we've helped Little Leagues get jerseys and local festivals get funding. It means we know what our communities need. So you'll always leave Cenex with a full tank, full of snacks, or full of smiles. Or all of the above. And that means the world to us. Cenex. Powered locally. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Wednesday, March 31st, which means, folks, it is here. We are on the eve of opening day 2021 for the Chicago Cubs and the rest of Major League Baseball. The Chicago Cubs begin their defense of their 2020 NL Central crown. Kyle Hendricks will be on the mound at beautiful, historic Wrigley Field. There will be fans in attendance. People on social media were talking today about they're here in the Oregon. They've got the hot dogs grilling, the onions. The smell is back in Wrigley Field. It's time, Brendan. Baseball is back. Corey, it's been a long offseason, but I'm ready finally for 162 game season. It's been two years since we've done this, so I'm ready. Absolutely. And for anybody that is joining us for the first time or has not been with us, welcome to the Cubs Related Podcast. We are very happy that you found us, very happy that you are giving us a try. This is Brendan and I's sixth season, sixth regular season, talking about the Chicago Cubs, which I can barely believe. And we are very happy to be here, very happy to be getting back on our twice-a-week schedule as we are doing today. We have a podcast previewing this series with the Pirates, and then on Sunday, we will be back to talk about that series and look forward to the next one. And it'll go that way for the next several months until hopefully the Cubs are in the playoffs, in the World Series, and we're figuring out when we're going to do our parade episode in sometime in November in, in beautiful Chicago. So we are going to talk about the Chicago Cubs and opening day and, and set the table for, as you said, Brendan, the, the first 162-game season since 2019. There is a lot to cover. It was, as Brendan said, a, a long, interesting offseason, a bit of a, a roller coaster of emotions. Even this week has been a bit of a roller coaster of emotions. And we will talk about everything. But what today is about is getting us and getting you and, and everybody ready for Chicago Cubs baseball, getting hyped for Chicago Cubs baseball, and doing what we can to prepare to throw on our Cubs jerseys, our Cubs hats, our obvious shirts, whatever you're wearing, and get ready to support the Chicago Cubs and try to defend that NL Central title. So, that is what we're going to do. And and I, Brendan, you know, kind of as I said at the outset, it's it, it was a long off season, but I am really excited for this season. I, I think that as interesting as the, the Cubs roster decisions have been and, and everything that has gone on with this team since last year, 
as you and I have talked about really since the beginning of this offseason, I think as we are mere hours now away from first pitch at Wrigley Field on Thursday, this team is in a position to compete for this NL Central title once again. And we'll see how everything else shakes out in terms of their standing in the National League and all of Major League Baseball. But I think, as a lot of people have noted, I think that this rotation is going to surprise a lot of people. I think that, you know, the overall velo not being as high as some other teams is lulling some people, especially a lot of these projections, into a false sense of security. And I think especially, Brennan, where some of my optimism and excitement comes from is you look at these over-unders, man. Like, you look at DraftKings or the the Fangraphs projections and things like that. I mean, some of these places have the Cubs in the 70s on the win total. And they're going to be a high-variance team. They can go many different directions. But some of it has to fire you up, right? You're coming off winning a division title. This has been a playoff team, five out of the last six seasons. You've got Kyle Hendricks on the mound, who is one of the most universally disrespected players in Major League Baseball. I mean, some of the stuff in these season previews that you see from uh, the the pundits and the scouts that offer up these opinions, I mean, are crazy with the disrespect in regards to Kyle Hendricks. And it just sort of leads you to a place of being pretty hyped up for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, this season, the projections that we see are so volatile. For example, one of the the most cited projections is Pakoda, and they should get recognition. But Pakoda, if we look at how many times they do these types of projection simulations— Many times, the Cubs are above 90 wins. And so there's a lot of variability in these projections. And while the Brewers are projected to win 88 games by Pakoda and the Cubs 85, there are many, many times where the Cubs, again, are over 90 wins. They have a huge range of variability. The reason why these projections don't like the Cubs is because they're pitching. And it makes sense when you look at recent performances by Jake Arrieta, by Trevor Williams, the Cubs' fifth spot currently occupied by Adbert Alzali. There's not a lot there for these computers to be optimistic about. But when you talk and hear these players say they're changing release points and changing pitch grips and changing their arsenals with Tommy Hadevi and with Craig Breslow, you can, in your mind, imagine that, hey, if this rotation does pan out and gives you value, and you assume that these projections are accurately saying this offense will come back, then 90 wins is certainly within the realm of possibility. And in fact, like my opinion is this rotation will surprise people. I think there's valid reasons that they can have a, a well above average rotation. And if they do, then yeah, they're going to be pushing 90 wins and they're going to be pushing that NL Central title once again, Corey. And we've often talked a lot about in the last six years that you and I have been doing this, that each season is, of course, very different. The The first season, Brendan and I actually met each other through Cubs social media, and it, I believe it was a Starlin Castro swing adjustment video that Brendan made that uh, connected the two of us, as random of a thing as that is. But really, since we've been doing this podcast, 
it's cliche to say, but every season is different. And we've had so many different narratives and storylines and ways of thinking about things before the season. You go back to 2016 when we started, and that obviously coming off of 2015, which was successful, but kind of free-flowing and and just sort of enjoying the ride, 2016 was World Series or bust. There, there's no more World silver Series linings. Correct, yes. It's been 108 years, and it's World Series or bust. They have to win it. You, you don't get this many chances. You never know about health and contract status and this and that, and it had to happen. And in case anybody has forgotten, it did. The Chicago Cubs won the 2016 World Series. Won the World Series, correct, yes. Yes. And, you know, then you go to 2017, which is, of course, we're all riding that high, and I think a lot of us, you know, let's repeat this team is great but kind of navigating a a brand new world of of being a a fan of a world champion team that we've all been dreaming of our whole lives and as we've gone from 2018 2019 2020 we've seen a lot of change we've seen the roster change we've we've entered periods of kind of knowing that some of these guys were in their last days as a Chicago Cub even just this offseason we said farewell to Theo Epstein the greatest president in Chicago Cubs history certainly and I, I think many would argue in baseball history we said farewell to Len Casper and welcomed John Boo Shambi to the booth you Darvish was traded things like that John Lester signing with the Washington Nationals so a, a lot of change and, and a lot of differences in in these seasons and 2021 is no different coming off of what I hope is the most unique season we ever talk about. I, I, given how it came about, I certainly hope we don't surpass 2020 in terms of being unique um, because that just is not, <laughs> that's not what we want to see in the future. But 2021 has its own sort of identity, and, and that identity appears to be that the Cubs are a talented group that are in the midst of sort of wondering what the future holds for a lot of these players and and really the direction of the organization, but at the same time knowing that this team just won the division, and when you look up and down at the talent on this roster, especially looking at the lineups that we saw to finish out spring training from David Ross and the sort of presumptive things we're going to see most of the time throughout the season— they they look like a very talented team and and you're going to need some things to come together you're you, you know you're maybe not going to have as much depth as you have had in other years but it it's still a talented group and you kind of see how it plays out in a division that nobody expects to be any good that's the one thing that is consistent uh the, the cubs aren't getting a lot of respect in the predictions and the projections from you know the stats websites and betting websites but really neither is anybody else in the division uh so that is kind of the lay of the land that nobody has any confidence in this division it appears to be up for grabs and considering the cubs just won it I I see no reason why they can't do it again. But where where I want to kind of start, Brendan, is just the coming off of the general excitement of, of opening day, I, I think especially with the last year in, in the world that we've all had, 
getting 162 games of baseball back, and what a sight for sore eyes the fans in the stands will be tomorrow. And and you've seen it just through social media. I mean, all the players talking about how much they're looking forward to that, how much they felt that absence in 2020, and and how good it's going to be to have the best fans in the world back and and giving them that energy to feed off of in 2021. But you know, we, we, we know all that. We're, we're looking forward to all that. But I do want to start kind of on Kyle Hendricks and, and just this pitching staff in general. And really what that stems from is, as I mentioned earlier, the, the just the lack of respect for Kyle Hendricks is really astounding. And it, it's not anything new. It's been happening for years. But you look at all of these things, like MLB puts out a Instagram graphic that says, who do you think is going to win the NL Cy Young? They've got like nine guys on there, including Luis Castillo from the Reds. And no disrespect to him, who's a a, a very good pitcher, a very talented pitcher. Kyle Hendricks doesn't even make the graphic, you guys. They got two Dodgers on there. They got Luis Castillo on there. Kyle Hendricks, they had a, a, a silhouette with other written on it. That's where Kyle Hendricks gets put in this mix and and in this league. He's so low on Cy Young betting odds. If you want to get infuriated or try to make some money, I guess, go look at the people they give the same odds as Kyle Hendricks to win the National League Cy Young, which, mind you, he's already finished third in the voting in his career in a year where his team won a World Series and he pitched the pennant-winning game and the World Series-winning game, and he still can't even get a nod is like, yeah, this guy's good. He belongs in the discussion with these other guys. And so one of the things I'm really looking forward to, and you and I both, Brendan, were very upset and and remain upset that you Darvish isn't still with this team and that he's not going to be leading this rotation. But the upside of that, I guess, if, if there is some, is that this is a position that Kyle Hendricks deserves. Now, he started on opening day last year, of course, pitching a complete game shutout because that's the type of guy he is. But this he deserves to be the number one on a team. He deserves for this to be his pitching staff. And I one of the things that I am looking forward to most in the 2021 season is Kyle Hendricks going out and continuing to do what he has done through his whole career with the Cubs, and that is be a top-of-the-league pitcher, a top-of-the-rotation arm. And I think that as the, the limelight is solely on him this season for the Cubs— Maybe, just maybe, Brendan, he'll get some of the respect that he deserves. What's remarkable about Hendricks is he still sort of attacks hitters similarly to how someone with like a 100-mile-per-hour fastball would attack hitters. And what's under-recognized by Kyle is that he's not the same pitcher as he was in 2016. His numbers are the same, but how he gets his outs is different. And the big change he's made, and you're going to see other Cubs pitchers do the same thing because they have been doing the same thing late in last September. Hendricks has been throwing way more fastballs up in the zone, not just four seams, way more sinkers up in the zone. And what what that has allowed him to do is get more whiffs, elevate, and go east to west a little bit more, according to Tommy Hadovy. And also utilizes curveball more. He developed a curveball in 2018 by changing a grip on that pitch. So from five years ago, 
Hendricks in that 2016 season had a 2.13 ERA and a 2.68 uh, or 3.2 FIP. In 2020, last year in their shortened season, 2.8 ERA, 3.5 FIP. Very similar numbers, different methods to get to that point. And that is under-recognized. And that's another feature that that I believe is so important to always hype up Kyle with, is he's not going to have the blow-away type stuff, but he's going to have a cutting changeup, a tailing changeup, a four-seam fastball, a tailing sinker, and a curveball. He's a five-pitch guy, even though it doesn't feel like it. And he can locate exactly where he wants to locate. He tunnels better than most pitchers in the league, and he's continuously changing. He is the ace of this team, and he should get his respect. And to see all these betting websites not give him better odds, like, I'm going to go throw down a few hundred on it. Like, honestly, I think I think he is well within the conversation of those Cy Young candidates, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason that that's not the case. And and look, we're not naive as to why he doesn't get the respect. He doesn't throw hard. He's not, uh, you know, a, a major strikeout guy that's, you know, putting up those gaudy K per nine numbers, things like that. But it, it's, it's just one of those things where it's so bothersome because I, I just don't know what else people want him to do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't know what else he's supposed to do. I mean, you go to Fangraphs and you look at the steamer projections. He They project him for a 4.2 ERA. I mean, that's nuts, <laughs> Brendan. I mean, the, the guy's career ERA is 3.12. He's never had an ERA higher than 3.46. And these projection systems just hate him. And it, it's one of those things where I think as Cubs fans, you kind of don't care because you're like, cool, disrespect him all you want. He he helped us win a championship. I mean, he outdueled Clayton Kershaw in the pennant winning game at Wrigley Field to send the Cubs to their first World Series in an incredibly long time. You guys can disrespect him all you want. We're going to keep supporting him and, and reaping the benefit of the fact that he's on our team. But there's just some of it where you're just like, man, I, I can't help but get kind of mad about this. And, you know, Kyle's certainly not like a please put me in the spotlight kind of guy, right? Like we all freak out on Cubs Twitter when he smiles in a photo. <laughs> but you just see these things where it's just constantly like Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer, these guys. And like they're incredible. They're great pitchers. But go to the fan graphs like war leader board for starting pitchers since 2015 or 2016 in the top 10 of like all of these numbers wins above replacement era wins if you even want to look at that like it's those guys some of those guys that i mentioned the, the kershaws the scherzers of the world and guess who Kyle Hendricks, like he's right there with these guys. So the the fact that he is so disrespected and and really just like ignored by Major League Baseball and and the larger kind of like media community, it's just one of those things that I, I in in 2021 he's the guy. You know he has has not been the the guy in any of these rotations a, a, in his time with the Cubs. Like I said, he started Opening Day last year, but you Darvish was so good that of course 2020 was about you Darvish, and he should have won the Cy Young. But now it's Kyle's team. We've heard in spring training through some of the beat reporters and things like that that he's stepping in to more of that veteran leadership role. There's a lot of guys in this rotation and on this pitching staff that I think can learn a lot from him and look to him as that guy. And I'm excited to see him go out 
and dominate and be Kyle Hendricks, be the professor and prove a lot of people wrong and, and show people like y- y- y'all can sleep on on me and, and on this team, but I don't know what else I have to do to, you know, prove that, that that's who I am and, and that's what you're going to get from me. So kind of on that note, while we're on the topic, we might as well just sort of stick to the pitching. And first of all, seeing Jake Arrieta today back at Wrigley mm-hmm. Field, the beard mm-hmm. in immaculate shape. It it's it, This is vintage Arietta that we're getting to start yeah. this season in terms of the beard and just the whole vibe. But he had the Cubs pullover on, the Cubs hat back at Wrigley Field, the, the, the backdrop of, you know, the, the center field wall and the scoreboard and everything. It just feels right, Brendan. And I, I know that he's coming off a, a down period in Philadelphia, but as you said, we we are effusive in our praise of Tommy Hadovy, Craig Breslow, and the pitching infrastructure on this podcast, and that will continue. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what these these guys are able to bring. So as we talked about on the last episode, following Kyle Hendricks, who will go on Thursday, the Cubs then have Friday off. Jake Arrieta will go on Saturday, and then Zach Davies on Sunday, and then to start the next series, it'll be Trevor Williams as the four, and Adbear Alzali getting the fifth start. So we know that that's not going to be the only five guys that start for this team. There's going to be a lot of of innings you have to cover. Guys are coming off of a strange year. You, You have to make sure you're prioritizing health. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But I, I think there's a lot to be excited about in this pitching group, not just because we trust Tommy Hadovy and the work that the pitch lab and the pitching infrastructure has done and the results that we've seen from so many guys getting better when they come over to the Cubs, developing new pitches, developing a new arsenal, changing their sequencing, changing how they approach eye levels and, and the usage of their pitches. But I, I think just because this isn't a a gaudy staff, uh, a staff that throws really hard or that you kind of look at and and the names jump off the page doesn't mean that they're bad. And and I do think that they're going to surprise some people because it, certainly in certain spheres, the, the expectations are extremely low and I think they're too low, um, especially for a guy like Zach Davies, who I think the perception of is a lot worse because of the trade that he came over in. But this is a solid MLB pitcher. Trevor Williams was really good in this spring training. It's Cactus League play, but you can read uh, from there. There's Brendan has written a lot for CubsInsider.com. Sahadev Sharma of The Athletic has covered this. He's a different pitcher than he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. His arsenal is different. His usage is going to be different, and the results look good in spring training. And I, I don't, Jake. A similar thing. He's not the same guy he was in 2015 and, you know, through 17 with the Chicago Cubs, but I, he's not going to be the same guy that Philadelphia got. And uh, aside from Hendricks, the, the person that I'm most excited to see is Alzali. And we've talked about him a lot, certainly at the end of 2020 when he came back and had made some adjustments, developed that slider that was, you know, just getting so many whiffs. But it, it, as we talked about in the last episode, Brendan, it was that start with the Dodgers. You go back and look at how he performed against the White Sox uh, in, in his work at the end of the 2020 season in on the south side of Chicago, and then you look at that Dodger start where he was getting whiffs on Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, A.J. Pollock, Chris Taylor, 
and you're it, it, he's young and you don't want to put too much pressure on a guy and he's also going to be on an innings limit so we'll see how that works but he's that guy where it's easy to dream and say people are down on this rotation but this is the guy that if he's able to put this all together in the starts that he's able to get this is what makes this rotation potentially really interesting this rotation while volatile probably the most interesting rotation like as a fan I've seen in recent memory and again I get the volatility but there's so much there to follow and I think it's fun to see how these guys change and centering it on Alzali he's he's changed so much over the last year and it's a frequent topic we bring up but it's one that I think deserves a ton of attention Alzali not the same guy he was a year ago, two years ago. Alzali came up through the system as a predominantly fastball, curveball guy. His curveball, his active spin rate on that curveball, for whatever reason, when he was previously pitching before 2020, was one of the worst in the league. And that was kind of discouraging because that was his, his dominant pitch in the minor league system. So what did Alzali do last year? In September, he comes up, he starts throwing a slider, like once every four pitches, all of a sudden a new slider. And that slider, that horizontal movement was better than like over 80% of pitchers, Corey. And he developed that slider within a few weeks in September. And he also, at the same time, developed a sinker. So he developed two new pitches, and those two pitches in September last year represented half of his total arsenal, two new pitches, and he was throwing that sinker up in the zone more, just like Kyle Hendricks, and he was getting whiffs because of it. Alec Mills was doing the same thing with that sinker, throwing sinkers up, kind of counterintuitive because you're thinking of a sinker as a ground ball pitch, but for whatever reason... Tommy Hadeby and probably Craig Breslow and that pitching infrastructure nudges these guys to use that sinker up in the zone and they're getting whiffs. So Alzali, he's not the same guy as he was two years ago, but he's going to use these new two pitches very frequently and he has good reason to do so based on that stat cast data and based on even that last outing as you were talking about against the Dodgers where he struck out five Dodgers who are in their primary lineup. That's incredibly encouraging. Now, is he going to stay in the rotation the entire year? No, he's going to be on an innings limit. And you're going to see Alec Mills get starts as well. And you're probably going to see even guys like Keegan Thompson, Tyson Miller get opportunities later in the year. So that that's where you have to focus in. And it goes back to our point about the projections, right? There is volatility. And just as much of a chance there is for this team to win 90 games, same amount of chance to win 80 games. I get it. But those systems are not taking into account that Adber Alzali has two new pitches. They're not taking into account that Jake Arrieta, he's changing things as well. And there are some really good quotes recently that Tony Andraki of the Marquee Sports Network got from Jake Arrieta. And one quote that stood out to me was... Jake saying, quote, minor tweaks in my delivery in the setup on the rubber. I'm very thankful for the group of guys who has worked as hard as they do to help me as much as they have in these changes. So Jake is saying that 
two of the big changes he's made have been to his delivery, but also where he actually stands on the rubber. And if you just take all of Jake Stackhouse's data from the last three years with the Phillies, one of the greatest predictors, and you can just tell the computer, hey, take all this data, tell me what chance, what probability this data predicts whiffs. And with 97% certainty, just on that Stackhouse data, you can predict whether or not Jake got a whiff with his sinker. And one of the greatest predictors of Jake's sinker was his vertical movement, was his location in which he throws sinkers. And a lot of that is generated by Jake's ability to throw across his body. And he had another interesting quote, which is the second one that caught my attention. And he said, quote, the torque on my knee was so intense that I had to take care a more direct line to the plate. And that kind of carried over to 2019 and 2020, Arietta said, end quote. And so that that is saying that Jake's knee injury, while with the Phillies, changed him from throwing across his body. Now he says, quote, sometimes it can be hard to retrain the brain to do something different than it's been doing for the past two or three years, end quote. Corey, he's throwing across his body more. That's going to generate more horizontal movement. And if these computers, if these machine learning algorithms are correct, there's a good chance that that's going to generate more whiffs. And if he does generate more whiffs, he's going to prevent more runs, and you might get an above-average Jake Arrieta. And all of a sudden, you have Kyle Hendricks, you have Zach Davies, you have Jake Arrieta, you have Adbert Alzelay, all hitting their peak projection, potentially. It's not even talking about Trevor Williams, too. So you can you can really see ways this team can realistically get value out of their starting rotation. And this is not crazy. It's not crazy when you hear these guys say exactly the changes that they're making. You're seeing them exactly play out well during spring training. And you're seeing stats and data from years past saying, hey, this is what they need to change. And they're doing it. There's tons of examples and reasons to be excited about this rotation. And those are just a few. So, Brendan, give me, as as the more analytical of of the two of us, give me an honest sort of assessment of where you think this pitching staff lands. Because obviously we're looking forward to it and we're digging into some of this stuff. But I, I don't want that to get misconstrued to suggest that we necessarily like think this is going to be the best pitching staff in baseball or anything like that. But can you can you give me some realistic expectations? Are, are we talking about a league average staff, a, a top 10 staff potentially? Where do you think the potential is truly? And of course, the, the variable being that it's not just going to be these five guys. We know there's going to be innings limits and things like that. But But can you put into perspective just a little bit, like where do you think the potential lies for this pitching staff as a whole? Everything we talk about can come off as being optimistic, but these are changes that they're trying to make. Where they fall right now, Fangraphs has their total pitching war as fourth worst in the projections in the league. That's that's terrible. And that's a total sum of 11 wins above replacement. That's based on their, on their FIP. And if you look at why that is, they are rating Kyle Hendricks to have a 4.2 FIP this year. I think he's going to be better than that. And that's because he's been better than that over the years. They have Zach Davies, Corey, as a 4.7 FIP. 
I think he's going to be better than that. Jake Arrieta at a 4.8 FIP. I think he's going to be better than that because of the reasons I just outlined. He's healthy. He's back to throwing more crossfire across his body. And he's talking about changes he's been making that are represented by some of the targets that data says he needs to change. And he's a Chicago Cub and not a Philadelphia And he's a Chicago Cub. Exactly right. Trevor Williams, maybe we'll get into it, but he has a 4.7 fit projection. Trevor Williams last year with suboptimal mechanics and really poor peripherals on his stat cast data still had an average whiff rate on that slider. So if he improves some of those peripherals, some of that movement, imagine what he can do with his whiffs by now having just a better pitch. So that suggests he pitched well. He attacked batters well. He commanded well. 4.8 fit for Trevor Williams. You can see him getting better than that. Alzalife, 4.9 fit. That projection is based on pre-2020 Alzalife. That projection is based on Alzali with a curveball and with a four-seamer, and that's basically it. He's a different pitcher now. So where does this rotation land in the in the entire pitching staff in general? I think the fourth worst overall pitching staff in the league is not accurate. I can see it landing within you know the mid-tier of the league. Uh, realistically, probably you know league average is slightly below league average if you want to be conservative. But if these whiffs do increase, then you can see them within the top third of the league, you know, better than, you know, 20 staffs, I think. And that, if that is the case, Corey, if that does happen, according to these projections, that is a seven to eight win swing. And so that right there propels the Cubs to the top of the division. They already have the greatest batting projection war, according to fan graphs. So that is really where you want to center in. It's that pitching staff. And these computers, they're not going to take into account all the changes they've been made. Right. They're going to take into account the, the, the last three seasons. They're going to weight the most previous season the heaviest. And they're going to find some of those surface-level stats like strikeouts and walk rate home runs and try to find similar historical players to model that after. It's an imperfect system. And that is why you see these really poor projections that, in my mind, are not capturing modern baseball. They're not capturing the changes that that all these teams are making now. This is a new sport. You know, when the Cubs won the World Series five years ago, it was a completely different sport. And so you have to consider that when you look at these projections. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a great point. And as as I mentioned and really mention every time, we're we're quite effusive in our praise of of the pitching infrastructure and the work that guys like Tommy Hadaby do. But what what I think is a good point that you made is there there's no guarantee that these changes work right? But there there are significant changes being made. And so I think especially for this Cubs staff, it's very easy to look at Jake Arrieta's time in Philadelphia or look at Trevor Williams' ERA in some years with the Pittsburgh Pirates and, and things like that and not necessarily feel inspired. But these are real changes that are taking place. This This isn't these aren't small things that you could inherently just write off as like, oh, you know, this guy had a five plus ERA in Pittsburgh. This isn't going to change that, right? Like, no, these are very significant changes. These are different arsenals. These are different pitches, sometimes brand new pitches being brought into the mix. And we've seen a lot of success with the Cubs and, and doing this over 
the last few years, and especially you look at the bullpen. We have talked for several off-seasons about how the Cubs have not really spent uh, top dollar in the bullpen, you know, other than really Craig Kimbrell, but they've managed to, you know, throughout the seasons, not necessarily for the duration of certain seasons, but piece together a a successful bullpen and be able to turn guys like Kyle Ryan, Rowan Wick into big time outgetters and and guys that you can use in high leverage situations on teams as we've seen that are successful that are winning divisions and even in 2019 when the Cubs didn't make the playoffs they were competitive until the last what week and a half of the season so we've seen the success on this and guys like Alzali and what he was able to do coming back with his new pitches and and sort of new look at the end of 2020. It's a small sample, but we've seen the potential results. And so it's all just to say there's no guarantee that these changes take hold or that they create such a significant impact, but they're they're not insignificant changes and they're not changes that don't represent real potential for progress. So I I think you're right on in terms of, you know, you you don't need to expect this staff to rival the best in the league or to be producing three different Cy Young candidates or anything like that. But I think the low bar that is being set for them is one that they they definitely should be able to get over and and I think that they're I I, I do think it's a lot of people are saying this it's a, it's not exactly a uh, revelation to suggest this or believe this but I I really do think they're going to surprise some people um, I, you know especially like Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies they're they're not the the sexy kind of pitchers right in today's major league baseball it's not two guys that are pumping a hundred with eight different pitches and things like that but Kyle Hendricks is an ace Kyle Hendricks is the top of the rotation guy he's proven it in the regular season the postseason the world series you name it he's done it and Zach Davies is a solid pitcher like this rotation has potential and as you said Brendan the overall group this team doesn't need this rotation to lead the league or anything like that. They just need this rotation to be solid and keep them in games, and hopefully the offense is able to balance that out, and this team is able to win a nice handful of games. But I I want to go to the offense just a little bit and and to talk about just the general state of things as, as we're, we're still setting the table here for opening day again on Thursday, or if you're listening to this on Thursday, today, soon. Uh, So hopefully you're very excited if you're listening to this on Thursday. But we've, we've talked so much over the years about this offense, Brendan, and there is really one significant change, and that is swapping Jock Peterson for Kyle Schwarber. We've talked a lot in this offseason about that particular swap and how while their ultimate output has often been fairly similar, Jock goes about it in a, a slightly different way, and, and that way is more beneficial to what the Cubs are, you know, the, the deficiencies that they're looking to overcome. And he's a guy who is betting on himself. One-year deal, first time, you know, really being guaranteed to be an everyday player as opposed to, you know, being out in L.A. where they're, you know, very matchup heavy and they have uh, such a deep bench and stuff like that. So he hasn't gotten that shot. And that's always a good thing to ride on. He was on Instagram today posting his brand new 
uh, light blue Chicago flag inspired glove with the red stars. He's ready to go. And and as I said on on some of the episodes before, I I can't. It's not going to be a full crowd maybe for a while, but I'm really looking forward to him getting out there meeting his new uh you know legion of fans in left field of the bleachers and i think he's he's just had such a good energy and a vibe around him throughout this whole process and how excited he's been to be a cub and he hasn't even taken the field in pinstripes at wrigley field yet man i i think that that's going to be really fun to watch and i'm really looking forward to him carrying over uh the massive spring training that he had I mean if you know obviously you don't expect him to put up numbers like that but if he's if he's riding that sort of energy and and that performance it's going to be a fun season for Jock Peterson and will ultimately be a a very lucrative season for Jock uh, once he hits the offseason so that's that's the plan but we know that we know what this group is capable of on the whole. We've seen it. We know the talent that a a, a lineup that is going to feature Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, Ian Happ leading things off, now Jock Peterson in the middle, Jason Hayward, David Bodie is your everyday uh, second baseman. We know the potential that this group has, right? Several of these guys won a World Series. Several of these guys have been a part of the lineups in in years where we would describe them as unrelenting, right? And just torturous for opposing pitchers and pitch counts and things like that. And we've also seen the lows. We've seen where they struggle. We've seen the strikeouts. We've seen the runners in scoring position issues. Or, you know, last year and in some years it was they load the bases and maybe they get one or they find a way to, you know, just not have that big crooked number inning. But the talent is there. And when you look at this lineup, and we talked about a couple lineups that were possible because David Ross was using them sort of towards the end of spring training, it's it's hard not to be pumped up about it, right? Like I said, you're, you're going, you, you didn't make significant changes, so you're not going to completely remove uh, some of the places that this team struggles, right? But if it all comes together, if they if they can have healthy seasons the potential is off the charts for this group and it's it's hard not to dream on that and i'm looking uh you know we we saw on on twitter today they're they're working out at wrigley field on wednesday afternoon so obviously wrigley is being prepped so this isn't a sure thing but there is a lineup on the scoreboard at wrigley field uh and this is coming from rob weiler on twitter and he took a photo of it and it was one that we've seen. So it's not really a surprise. Again, as I'm recording this on Wednesday night, I'm not positive this is the opening day lineup, but we just did an episode where we talked about this potentially being the opening day lineup. And it is the one that we were kind of intrigued by, Brendan, with Hap and Contreras at the top of the order. We saw this a couple times to close Cactus League play from David Ross, and it was as follows. And I am thinking it's going to be tomorrow. Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Jock Peterson, Javi Baez, Jason Hayward, David Bodie, and then, of course, Kyle Hendricks taking the mound. So we've seen this. We saw it multiple times to finish out the schedule in Mesa, and so I'm not surprised by this, but you just look at that lineup, and you already mentioned the wins above replacement projection on on fan graphs for this offense, but you look at that lineup. Again, you, you know the areas that you want to improve on. We, we've heard it for years with some of these guys. But the ability to dream 
on Chris Bryant being healthy, no nagging injuries. Javi Baez coming back from a weird 2020 season where we know he's not that player. Anthony Rizzo, one of the most consistent players in baseball, doing his thing. We talked about Jock just a second ago. Ian Happ looking to you know, cement what he did in 2020 and really take that next step as one of the stars both on and off the field in Major League Baseball. Jason Hayward, who had his best season offensively as a Cub in 2020 and who has just every single year spent extra time in Mesa or Chicago, put in the work, and his numbers have gotten better every single year. It's it's so easy, Brendan, to look at this lineup and dream on what they are able to do. We know who's going to be out there basically every day more often than not, right? Even David Bodie was told by David Ross, this is your opportunity to be the everyday second baseman. You're going to see some mixing and matching. You might see some guys from off the bench, but you read that lineup, one through eight, and I guess Kyle Hendricks. He's had some big hits in the 2016 playoffs off Jeff Samardis, <laughs> so I don't want to. I don't want to snub him as a potential to drive in runs for this offense. But that one through eight, man, it's it's very easy to dream on the potential that this offense has. Yeah, well, last year you look at the numbers, man, and like Javi was the third worst offensive hitter in the league. That's not going to happen. If it does, I mean. Ugh, if that that I mean that would that would be devastating. And then you have Chris Bryant who had a 285 weighted on base average last year. KB, you know, injury prone or not, for whatever reason is happening to the guy. He's had a bad stretch of injuries. Last year he played through debilitating wrists and finger injuries that we just heard about a few weeks ago. If he's healthy, he's going to be who we've seen KB to be for the first half of his career. And we've said it so many times, but there is a stretch there for four years where Chris Bryant was the top three most valuable player across baseball with Mike Trout and Mookie Betts because KB has the base running, he has the defensive uh, competency, and he's changed his his entire portfolio batting over the years to become more of a contact guy. So Bryant, with this weighted on base average projection of 345, I don't see 345 being like his average. I think if he's healthy and capable, then he's going to have a much better offensive season. Going one through eight, it does inspire confidence. And, uh, you know, we've said this for three years now, and it's it's I feel like I've repeated record every single year, but... I guess it still holds true if this team is clicking and healthy at the right. same time. And you assume that their poor performances in the COVID season and their poor performances amidst injuries were truly influencing their numbers, then they, they, they should go up. The offense should go up. And you said it. But Hayward, if he is actually this type of hitter in 2020... As he, as he hoped to be in 2021, that's a well above league average player, man. That's an above average offensive player too. And his changes, God, we've talked about this for so many years now, but his changes with his ability to get in a better hand position by not wrapping his wrist, that last year translated to more power. He had his best isolated power in his career as a Cub. So I'm hoping that does translate over in Ian Happ's adjustments as well. So one through eight, yeah, you can see them being a legitimate 
top offensive team. Now you can see it happening. Will it happen? I I don't know. I I really don't. I think the last three years is a good reason to be pessimistic. At the same time, you just because you're pessimistic doesn't mean you can't accept the reality that there is a chance that they could be a top-heavy offensive team. And if they are, it's more than likely because they're healthy, they're making adjustments against high fastballs, which, by the way, Chris Bryant's hitting coach and father, Mike Bryant, has throughout the years always stressed that with Chris Bryant to, to try to improve against. And he has done that over the years. So if those improvements continue to progress, yeah, this is a top offensive teams. And it's reflected right now by Fangrass projections. Right now, they're slightly above league average for their entire positional group. And that's with, I think, some muted projections based on injuries in the COVID season. So it's all to say, I've always been optimistic about the lineup. I've always been in denial when they go through slumps. Like, they, this can't happen to this team. Right. And maybe it does happen again, but I, I don't think it will. I really don't think it will, Corey. Yeah, and I think, you know, you look at, just because we, we talked about him, like, you look at someone like Jason Hayward, right, who in the, in that lineup that I read was the number seven hitter. 2018, we know how he performed offensively in 2016 and 2017. 2018, 100 WRC plus, which is league average. 100 is league average, below, worse than league average, above, better than league average. 2019, 101, so creeping up just a little bit, right? 2020, the shortened season, 131. So obviously a smaller sample, but it's gone up every year that he's been a Cub, and it's been at least league average since 2018. If he can find himself solidly, even in the middle of the 131 and 101 from 2020 and 2019 with his glove, which is one of the best in baseball, that's a very valuable player and someone who you have in your seven hole right now. And where the offense lands league-wide, we'll see. But even when they've gone through struggles, right, even when they've had those stretches where, like you said, Brendan, you're, you're like pulling your hair out. Like, I, I, I can't believe this group is not scoring, right? And, and we've dealt with it. But even in those years, they still, throughout most of the season, rank at the top of the league in a lot of very important offensive metrics. It just sort of falls apart all at the same time and in certain seasons, unfortunately, at exactly the wrong time, right? But for this year, especially as we sit here on on the cusp of a 162 full game season, I'm I'm really optimistic, man. I, I really am. Because like I said, we've seen this offense with, with most of these players perform at, at near top of the league levels for very consistent periods of time. But Javi is not the player he was in 2020, right? I don't know where he lands. I don't know if he gets back to those 2018 runner-up MVP numbers. Similar to you, Darvish, he should have won that MVP too. But um, I don't know if he gets back there, but he's not the player we saw in 2020. He's going to have in-game video again. He's going to have the fans at Wrigley Field chanting his name over and over, and he feeds into that. He's not going to be that player, right? Chris Bryant, healthy, looked healthy and ready to go in spring training. He's going to have a bounce back year. Again, is he going to be 2016 MVP Chris Bryant? I don't know. 
but he's not the player that he was in 2020 if he's healthy, and all indications are that he's healthy. Anthony Rizzo's Anthony Rizzo, right? I believe that Ian Happ is going to take that step. He looked like that player for the majority of 2020. He had that ball that hit him in the eye, and, you know, obviously an unorthodox season, but I, I I think he takes that next step. He was showing that he was doing it, and I think he puts a, a full season together at that level in 2020. Jock Peterson, I mean, I already talked about him, man, but I think he's a guy that's primed to go off, and it's not easy to transition to being an everyday player. It's not easy when you haven't had too many uh, regular opportunities to really hammer out your, I don't want to call it an inability, but your lack of success against left-handed pitching, and he's going to get that shot. So it's it's not an easy transition to make, but he looked incredible. You know, you can't look better than he did in spring training. He looks like a man on a mission to prove himself, to prove to everybody, to prove to anybody that didn't want him to be an everyday player, maybe even in LA, right, where where he was successful. But that that motivates guys, and I think he's ready for that. We talked about Jason Hayward, and you know, I think part of the optimism with this offense is that I'm riling off these names of guys who have put up MVP level performances before that there's no reason they can't get back to or, you know, sort of sniff those numbers. I haven't even mentioned Wilson Contreras yet, Brendan. Yeah. You know, yeah. the one of the best offensive catchers in baseball, a guy who, yep. like other guys, is, is still out there trying to prove himself. He's heard his name in trade rumors for the last few off seasons. You can see on social media that it gets to him, that it fires him up, that it motivates him. And he's another guy who, you know, his future is not immediately on the table at the end of this season, but it's coming up. And he's got that fire. He's got that passion. And he's put up those numbers before. And he's another one who he's felt like he's been primed for that big breakout full season. He's he's always ranked at, at the higher end of, of MLB catchers, especially from the offensive performance. But you've seen the work that he's put in in improving his pitch framing metrics, his receiving metrics, and all that other stuff because he heard people talking about it, and him and Mike Barzello and everybody on this coaching tip, they worked on it, and they improved. They improved dramatically, and I think 2021 is the year that he has that, I am the best catcher in baseball, put the respect on my name, everybody, kind of season. I think that's 2021 for Wilson Contreras, so it's all just to say I'm optimistic about this offense, and you know, when you look at, at the whole team, right, like, it's opening day right? Brendan and I, had this, as we've stated, like this is a, a very volatile team. It, it can go many directions, right? I think when you looked at, at the 2016 season, you know, maybe you weren't positive they were going to win over 100 games, but you looked at that roster, you looked at the way guys had performed, and you were reasonably sure when that season started. This is going to be a good team. The question is just how good, right? This is a, a great roster. They're set up for success. It's just a question of how well does this go, right? This is a, a different case, right? Like there's a lot that you need to go right for this team. You're, you're counting, especially on the pitching side, on a lot of guys who need to take 
big leaps in their career or make those changes pay off and turn themselves into different guys. So it's a variable roster. It is going to be a variable outcome for how this season goes. A lot of it might come down to some of those one-run games and you you get the bounces or you get those key hits in in those big spots and it, it sort of plays itself out. So all of this, you know, good feeling about the pitching staff. And, you know, I'm not sitting here telling you that this team is going to win 100 games or 105 games, right? And, you know, come at me, LA and San Diego, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying. But the division is the division. And it's it's not filled with teams that you look at and are terrified by. And when I look at this roster, my ultimate prediction for this team is I believe they're going to win the division. I don't know how many games that's going to be. Is it going to be, you know, similar to 2003 where it's a high 80s finish that gets you the division title? Is it going to be like 2017 where it was low 90s? Is it going to be like 2015 where it's high 90s and hundreds? I don't think so. That would be quite the the script flip from the NL Central if, if it was like 2015 with the Cubs, Pirates, and Cardinals. But I do believe they win the division, and whether that's an 89-win team, a 90-win team, something like that, I believe it's going to be the Chicago Cubs. I don't think this team is an 85-win team. I I don't. And, you know, this is the opening day bias. I'm feeling good. It's the first of 162. I, I get it, but if I'm betting against all the changes this rotation has made, I'm ignoring reality. I can't ignore what they've been doing. And so because of that, I I think this team is the favorite in the division. I know the Cardinals got Nolan Arenado, and I know they have Dylan Carson as a top prospect. I, I, I get all that. But I'm centering back on what we know with this lineup, and I'm centering back on what I know Tommy Hadovy and Craig Breslow and the rest of this pitching infrastructure has already done in a COVID season with limited time. This is our first spring in full capacity, you know, relatively speaking. And if they can continue to get these guys to a position where they're maximizing their talents, which I think they're going to, this is not an 85-win team. This is a team with a win projection around 90. And that would be enough probably to win this division. So if that inspires confidence or pessimism, you know, everyone everyone wants to win 95 plus uh, games. But if you're hanging out around 88, 89, 90, you're within the same tier of like randomness that you could fall into place and have a weird playoff run, right? Like we saw with the Marlins last year when they beat the Cubs in that wild card series. We've seen it in years past, you know, with upper 80 teams, upper 80 win teams winning World Series like the Giants. Now, recently, the powerhouses have won the World Series, but you can see how this team with a starting pitching staff plays out in the division. And I think going into it, if you're going to bet against this rotation, those are worse odds for you, man. They are. Like, don't bet against Tommy Hadovy. Don't don't bet against Tommy Hadovy because you saw what he did last year with Rowan Wick with the entire bullpen. That bullpen became the greatest strength for that Cubs team in 2020. Can't bet against it. And if you do, if you do bet against the Cubs not winning 85 plus games, 
that you're betting against that pitching infrastructure because I think that offense will come back, and I think the pitching is going to surprise a lot of people. We do not doubt Tommy Hadovy on Never. this podcast. Not in this house. No. In this house, we support Tommy Hadovy. So I, I think that's where we're at, and we are always positive, right? For for those of you guys who are new to this podcast or who don't, you know, know about Brendan and I in, in particular, we're both in our, well, I'm 30. I was going to say late 20s, Brendan. I'm 30 now. Sheesh. Um, I'm becoming an old man in front of all of our <laughs> listeners' eyes, right in front of everybody. Um, but I'm 30. Brendan's in his late 20s. So, you know, we were built we were formed as Cubs fans, in, you know, starting with Sammy Sosa, Kerry Wood in the late 90s, and then really turned into the the psychopaths that are in front of you today with the 2003 team, those 2007, 2008 teams, etc. And we're optimistic. We are lunatics. We live and die with every pitch. If, if you stick with us throughout the season, you'll you'll feel that, I promise you. We, we feel every loss from this team extremely viscerally. It pains us to watch this team lose. Um, But I think when we are optimistic, that stems from, we're Cubs fans. You guys all know this, right? And, you know, everybody is a different kind of fan. Everybody approaches things differently. But at the end of the day, the Cubs are taking the field. They'll be at Wrigley Field tomorrow. Pat Hughes will be on the broadcast. Anthony Rizzo will be at first base. Kyle Hendricks on the mound. And regardless of, you know, whether an offseason, whether it's this one or others, plays out as we would have scripted it or as we wanted it to or anything like that, We are there day one until the very end supporting the Chicago Cubs. And I always tell you guys, I always tell Brendan, I have been to so many, I can barely count, uh, playoff eliminations for this team. And the one thing I always tell everybody is I feel like one of those guys in, you know, in the movie Titanic that were playing the violins as the ship was going down. I will sit through a 13 to nothing loss until the last out because that's just how I am. When the Cubs lost the pennant to the Mets, I was there at Wrigley Field. I watched every out. That game was over. That series was over. I watched the Mets celebrate on the field because that's just the type of fans that Brendan and I are. We will be there to the bitter end. We might disagree with some of the decisions along the way. We might be just heartbroken about certain things along the way, and we'll probably be a little crazy about how excited we are along the way. But the one thing that you can count on with us is we've both been doing this our whole lives, and there is nothing that we would rather do than support the Chicago Cubs and cheer for the Chicago Cubs. And we do not give up on that for anything. So when we're optimistic in a season like this, where, you know, they're projected by some places to win 79 games, what we hope you take away from this podcast is that it's not blind optimism. I feel like we're pretty forward in why we believe these things. And I think those optimistic expectations are tempered, right? Like I've been on here in 2016 and 2017. I probably literally said, I think they're going to win 110 games and I meant it. Right. And I don't think that this year, but I, I, I think Brendan and I are, are 
very clear in why we have that optimism. Not that they're going to be this, you know, insane juggernaut of a team, but why we think this is a good team, why this is a team that can defend their NL Central title, and why this is a team that come 120 on Thursday afternoon, April 1st, 2021, you should be excited to watch the Chicago Cubs, and you should be ready for what is going to be an interesting, it might be tumultuous, it might not be easy, but it should be a fun season, and there is no reason that the Chicago Cubs cannot make this a successful one, defend that NL Central title, and get themselves into the playoffs, and see what happens, right? You just need a seat at the table, and the Cubs should be able to do that. So that is kind of what we have for you. Um, it, it's It's been a, an interesting offseason. It's been a long offseason, especially amidst the backdrop of, uh, you know, one of, I, I think, the, the craziest years that all of us have lived through, uh, you know, on a personal level. As I said, throughout the offseason, now that we're at opening day, I, I hope, you know, that this, that everything going on in the world and, and where we land on, on April 1st, that, that you're in a good place. You and your family, your friends, everybody ha- has gotten through this okay and is able to strap it on and, and put your Cubs gear on and be excited for baseball starting on, on uh, Thursday afternoon. And, and I sincerely hope that. So as I said at the outset, what you can expect from us going forward is two episodes a week at minimum. If there's ever breaking news, trades, things like that that we need to discuss, we do uh, emergency episodes, bonus episodes, whatever you want to call them. But no matter what, rain, shine, snow, I think it was snowing a little bit in Chicago today. So snow, sometimes even in April, two episodes a week, no questions asked. We have not missed one in the six years that we've been podcasting, and we will not miss this one. We, we will not miss one this year either. And again, what that means is before every series, we preview the upcoming series. And then when the Cubs finish that series, we have an episode to look back at those few games or any news that happened during that period and look ahead to the next series that the Cubs are playing. So you can count on that. Sometimes it might just be me. Sometimes it might just be Brendan. Sometimes it might be one of us and somebody else to just fill in. Uh, But no matter what, you will hear from us twice a week until the season is over. And like I said, as always, we hope that that is until the World Series, and then ultimately or we are doing coverage for a parade and a rally in Grand Park like we did in November of 2016. So with that, uh, that is what we have for you. The table is set. It's the Chicago Cubs and the Pittsburgh Pirates. It is Kyle Hendricks and Chad Cool. And we're ready to kick it off at Wrigley Field on at 120 on Thursday, April 1st, 2021. As always, we appreciate very much your guys' support of this podcast, interacting with us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram. If you have not already and you have a spare moment to leave us a five-star review with a brief comment about why you like the podcast, how you found the podcast, whatever. It helps us. We appreciate it. And before I sign off here, I I, I want to say thank you for supporting us for six years. The fact that Brendan and I are, are heading into our sixth season of, of covering the Chicago Cubs and that we have the audience that you guys have given us is extremely humbling and it is uh, very special to us. So we thank you for that. I, I talk to people on Twitter all the time. There are a lot of you who I talk to on Instagram, sometimes every day, and it, it really means the world to us. Uh, we, As you guys 
either know or will soon be able to tell. Brendan and I would be having these insane conversations on the phone or through text or somehow we would be spending all of our time talking about the Chicago Cubs one way or the other. And you guys have given us a platform to do that and an audience to do that. And we've built uh, a little bit of a, a community here. And it, it means a lot to us. We appreciate your your listenership. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your suggestions, your feedback, and, and everything. We, we appreciate you being a part of you being a part of our Cubs journey and letting us be a part of how you consume and enjoy the Chicago Cubs from two people who know how important this team is and who know what it means to be a Cubs fan and and just how everything around the team is connected to every part of your being it means a lot that you allow us to be a part of that and and whether that's a big part or a small part, you know, just listening to the pods on the way to work or, or however you're you're listening to us, it means a lot, and we thank you, and we are looking forward to another hopefully very fun and, and interesting season for the Chicago Cubs, and we're ready to go on that ride together. So thank you very much for your support. Thank you for listening. And as we get ready to kick off the 2021 season again, the Cubs defending defending, the reigning, defending, undisputed champions of the NL Central as they get ready to defend that crown. We always end these podcasts by saying, Go Cubs.